Attention shoppers, there are a wide variety of Crossrip items available in the gift shop. Sweatshirts, smartphone covers, an exclusive t-shirt designed by Dapper Dan Shonen of IDW Comics fame, and more on the way. All proceeds go towards our servers, so this remains the only ad you hear on the show. Go to GhostbustersHQ.net slash shop to get yours today. I like that shirt, friend. Hey there, fellow conductors of the Metaphysical Examination, and welcome to the crossword for the week of August 20th, 2018. This week on the show, we are so pleased to present an interview with Violet Ramis Steele, the author of Ghostbusters Daughter, a wonderful book that you should own if you do not own already. Uh, Violet is Harold Ramis' daughter. She has some great anecdotes about life and talking about the book. It's a wonderful conversation. Stay tuned. Still Playing With Toys presents The Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad, the biggest podcast since 1909. So free. News, interviews, and commentary on everything Ghostbusters. Are you the key Here are your hosts, Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart. You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. Oh, we have fun. Woo! All right, everybody, I know that everyone has been extremely excited for this particular person that we are joined on the podcast with right now, live from uh, the Ghostbusters daughter headquarters. <laughs> we are joined <laughs> by Violet Ramis Steele. Hi, Violet. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, hi. Uh, so I think I need to start first just by thanking you. And I'm sure Chris will probably echo my, my sentiment here, but... Um, the book is amazing. Uh, we've gushed uh, for multiple hours in a book club just talking about how much we love it and adore it. And I just, I feel, it's like we're, we're kind of going through this renaissance where we are um, now getting a look behind the scenes of like with Feudal and Stupid Gesture, here's Doug Kinney's life. And with Martin Scorsese's documentary, we're getting, you know, the SCTV story and, uh, and through your book. And, and it's just, it's so wonderful to kind of get a glimpse behind uh, the scenes, behind the, the method to the magic, so to speak. So, uh, so I, have to, I have to thank you. And again, it was well-timed because I'm a new parent. And as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh my God, I can apply all of these things to what's happening in my life right now. <laughs> but uh, so, yes, yeah, so thank Uh-oh. you. Thank you very much. And I know a lot of uh, uh, Solange and Briley, who were on our book club, uh, wanted to pass along a thanks to you as well. So uh, I know I know they wish that they could join us here in spirit, but uh, they are. They're here. They're, the book club is here joining us. <laughs> Always. So let's start uh, because I'm, I'm curious. You literally had a lifetime of material to pull from for this book. So where, where and how do you start? What did you do to begin cultivating things for this book for... Uh, and, and when did it begin? Well, I mean, I, so my dad and I talked about writing a book on parenting together right? Um, in 2007 after my daughter was born um, because it just seemed like we'd had sort of an unusual and interesting experience together and uh, that there might be something that people could take away from it. And, you know, you can make people laugh, you can make people think and, um, I just felt like it was um, sort of a great way to talk about um, sort of surrendering to the idea of, of parenthood and of life, really. Right. Um, unfortunately, you know, we never got a chance to do that together. So after he died, I just, I just felt like I had to um, at least 
get out all of the memories that I had. And so I just started taking notes um, on everything I could remember. I didn't want to forget. And um, that sort of evolved into longer stories and, you know, then sort of a chronology emerged. And, you know, at that point, it was really just something I thought I would maybe give to my kids and my brothers. Um, And then I sort of put it together with, you know, all of the great messages and, um, and letters that I'd gotten from, you know, from fans and from other people who were missing him. And I just thought, well, you know, maybe this is something that I could really share with people and that they would be able to get something from. It's not him, but it's everything that I have of him that I can give. Yeah, it is. It's it's a slice of life. And I feel like uh, you may have inadvertently done the parenting book that you had set out to do with him mm-hmm. just because in, in getting to see those interactions between the two of you and seeing how the parenting styles differed uh, when your stepmom entered the picture. And um, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, even though I know that these are your experiences and, and uh, very personal, it's also a, a good, um, like, uh, uh, what's the scientific term, Chris, help me out. Control group. Uh, yeah. What's the, we, we're getting to see a very, uh, all the different variables and how they interact with parenting. And so it was kind of nice to get that, and maybe it was, again, just the timing of me recently having a daughter, too, that I'm reading into it. But I think you guys, I think you did it. I think you you completed that book that you set out to do. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I maybe part of um, the feeling is that you never, you know, that, that book can't read because, you know, the lessons are um, really about each individual person and your experience and doing what works for you and what you think is best and that includes, you know, acknowledging when, when you screw up and um, everybody's, you know, everybody's relationship to that is going to be different. So, yeah. who knows? <laughs> did, I mean, you mentioned uh, not wanting to forget things. Um, did, did you journal? Did he journal? Were, were there any notes or things that were helpful in, in cultivating all of the material to kind of jog your memory a little bit? Um, well, I mean, I think we all have... Um, sort of a mythology about our own childhood um, that's told to us sure. from our parents and, and the people around us. And we think we remember those things, but maybe we really don't. Um, so, you know, I had all of those stories to sort of start with. And then I had photographs, you know, that would sort of validate or contradict my memories. Um, and, you know, he didn't keep a journal, but he he lived his life and in, in in public in a certain way. And so I did have um, all of these interviews and archives and um, talks that he'd given. um, And that was really helpful actually in sort of being able to bring his voice into the story and have him explain his own perspective. Um, Because he was, you know, so wise and and eloquent and really able to sort of um, relate to all these different experiences. Yeah. Um, So that was, you know, that was really helpful. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned that he lived life in the public, but I also get the impression that he was very private. I mean, he moved back to Chicago uh, after having a, a very prolific career and continued to have a prolific career in Chicago. But why Why do you think that was? Why did he also kind of guard himself, especially in nowadays where everybody is see and be seen, be on Instagram, be on Snapchat, here's everything that I'm doing at every given minute. Uh, why why yeah. do you think he valued privacy so much? You know, I, it's funny. I don't. I, I've heard that from a few different people, and I I never really saw it that way. I mean, he used to say that he was sort of just the right amount of famous, um, <laughs> because 
you know, he could usually get a good table at a restaurant, but, you know, he wasn't sort of accosted everywhere he went. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I hate to say that he um, was taken for granted or underappreciated because I feel like now people, you know, are appreciating him and recognizing him and his influence on comedy. But I do feel like, you know, for a lot of his life, you know, he was the writer, he was the director, those things happen behind the scenes and people who, you know, love movies and love comedy know about it, but the people who pay attention to the stars don't necessarily. Yeah. So, you know, when you're working with Bill Murray or John Belushi or these, you know, very big personalities, you know, really like leading men, star material, he was definitely more comfortable sort of off to the side, feeding them the lines and, you know, controlling what happened from from backstage i think yeah it's almost uh he's he's got a wonderful quote and i hope i'm not messing it up but uh at one point he said people ask me if i'm the class clown and i say no i used to write for the class clown so yeah. I, you know that <laughs> exactly. I, I feel like that sense he was always the man behind the curtain with uh murray and belushi and and all of these larger than life characters which um i, I mean i i may be i Maybe paraphrasing, but I remember we interviewed him for the Back to School DVD, and we were talking about, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, and how did Rodney deal with stardom later in life, and did he enjoy the interactions that he had with fans? And he did say at one point he was having dinner with Rodney, and a fan came up and wanted a photo or an autograph or something, and Rodney said, "Hey, we're we're eating here, you know, we're we're working. Leave us alone." <laughs> and the fan was very insistent, right. and and it got to the point where Rodney said. Yeah, that guy that there that's that's Harold Ramis. He's Egon Spangler. Bug him, you know, like, <laughs> trying to pawn off the attention, uh, which it it didn't seem like he 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 minded unless he unless a table at the Cheesecake Factory was at stake. Right, like, but, I know. We'll, we'll come back to that. I'm sure. <laughs> um, but no, he he did love the attention, and I think he was um, sort of maybe confident enough or grounded enough where he didn't necessarily need it his you know his happiness wasn't determined by um if people you know were crowding around him or seeking him out but you know he knew what he had and and i think that that sort of saved him also from a lot of the pitfalls of of what celebrity can do to people yeah it's a shame i feel and and in getting to read the book you know um the time that he was ill and that he was, uh, you know, in, in hospital rooms and, and isolated, I, I wish that there would have been a, like that outpouring of, of fan response and, and all of these people that loved him, you know, if he would have had just a, a little bit more, if he would have leaned more into the public eye, just a little bit, I wish he would have been able yeah. to get a sense of that, uh, that love that people had for him, uh, just, just to kind of keep him motivated when things were starting to get gray. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, I mean, it was a tough situation and for a long time we really didn't know what was going on. And so with all that uncertainty, I think it was more just of a protective thing for, for him and for our family. Um, and, you know, then we were just all in the middle of it and that was sort of the last thing on everybody's mind. But, you know, I wish that for him too um, because, I, you know, I think that people would have you know, I mean, it wouldn't have made his dying any easier, but I sure. think people would have really loved to tell him himself what they what he meant to them and and how he you know affected their life. And um, you know, it's great that I get to hear it. Um, I love 
you know, hearing stories of, you know, um, I loved watching Caddyshack with my brothers and dad growing up. You know, we would sneak out after my mom went to bed and watch it or, <laughs> or whatever. Um, uh, you know, that those movies got people to really hard times in their life. But, I, you know, I, I think that he um, could have benefited from that. And he knew. I mean, he knew he was loved and, um, and admired and, and celebrated. I mean, you know, I mean, reason Scott now I kind of related to that I, I wanted to ask um, as you said it's it's kind of nice to hear these people tell you what your father meant to you sort of thing but does it kind of make things harder too like all of us when we lose somebody and all that kind of come to grips with it and then it's little pockets here and there when people bring it up but I, I kind of I mean, I guess I, I I worry sometimes that when I when I stop and think about it, that you must be bombarded by it. Like, does it does that make it way easier, or does it kind of just mean somebody's poking at it all the time? No, I mean, I find it comforting because you know it's 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 their story. I mean, I I shared that everything that I knew um, and and shared with him. Um, and it's nice to get some of that back from other people. And as I've, you know, gone around with the book a little bit over the summer, like hearing other people's stories of, you know, when they met him or visiting the movie set or, you know, it's like, that's great to get back then things that I didn't know about him that other people have. It's like little, you know, pieces of gold that I really, I cherish. Yeah. Okay. I'll stop worrying then. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) Well, it seems, I mean, it seems like so many people, he touched so many people's lives. So many people touched his life that, you know, I I have a question on our sheet here about, you know, the familial unit that he formed around him. And you mentioned he was very protective of his family, but his family extended to, you know, you listen to interviews with uh, Andrea Martin and Judd Apatow and Brian Mm. Doyle Murray and, and, all of these people that were not related by blood, but I, I believe considered to be family, you know, that they uh, kept in constant contact. Uh, in the book, you have that wonderful, you know, he's so proud of, of building his guitar and he shares it with uh, mm-hmm. Trevor and Laurel and, and all of these people. Um, I mean, what, what did that say about him and how he enjoyed having those people close to him and, and that he kept opening his heart to bring those people. I mean, even your family itself with your brothers and uh, your, uh, I, I guess, was she fi- was she adopted or was she just a, a foster? No. <laughs> but again, not like, even, I mean, yeah, it wasn't anything official. And, and, you know, they started out just as her host family, but the way that he was, you know, so warm and, and generous and, and really open and, and wanting to, um, you know, enrich people's lives. I mean, so once you were in, you you were in. I mean, he had, you know, was still very close with his friends from college. And um, I think that, yeah, he was, he was very loyal in that way and just really liked to see people grow and succeed and, and be there to help them along the way. Yeah, it's, um, and, and maybe it's because it's fresh in my mind, but having watched the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling uh, recently, I felt I, I, I felt like your dad did very similar things, that he was trying to f- foster the next generation and help people, and especially with Judd Apatow, you know, I've, I've heard interviews with him where he talks about how Harold was so encouraging, and uh, and he loved their collaborations too, so it's it's just so cool to hear that he was that generous, that he was that open to people. 
Yeah, no, he was. And I thought that was such a great documentary. Um, you know, I mean, I cried through the whole thing when I first watched it, so I had to watch it again. And I just, um, you know, I just felt like with all the the journals and the videos, like it's so great to have that sort of um, diverse medium and, and to really hear the person's own voice. And, you know, I tried to, to capture some of that also in the book. So I, you know, I just think that the documentary really worked on all those levels. Yeah. And I think it speaks worlds too that the the Second City Film School is named after your dad. Like that that it it makes a whole lot of sense that the, literally the building that is teaching the next generation has been, you know, named after him, and and that continues on even uh, to this day. Which is I, I think that's yeah. cool. I mean, uh, uh, is Erica is involved in that? Is she part of the board of directors on that or? She is. Yeah, she's very involved in terms of um, you know the curriculum and and getting, you know, support for it. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's been really great for her and my brother, actually, Daniel just completed the program. Oh, you're kidding. How um, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's again, like a beautiful sort of tribute to him and, and what he did for comedy and how important second city was to his career, um, and, and his life really. It seems like just such a natural, organic um, thing to happen. So I'm I'm really glad that it did. Yeah. What, what's going on with the the National Center for Comedy? That's that's something that you're involved with as well, right? It is. Yeah. I mean, it's they just opened um, the National Comedy Center in Jamestown, New York, and um, my dad's um, Ghostbusters suit is there, and um, some pieces of the script, and uh, a few other items, and. It's just this really great center that sort of brings together, um, you know, the history of comedy and all of these amazing people um, like, you know, George Carlin, all of his notes and and things are there. And, um, you know, also the current sort of state of what's going on in comedy and, and really just bringing people together to laugh um, and to learn. And it's like a really amazing place. They encourage everyone to go if you can. Um, Dan Aykroyd was there also. He donated his motorcycle to them. And, <laughs> How funny. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's fantastic. Um, a lot of the people from SNL are involved and Louis Black and Kelly Carlin, obviously, with her dad's stuff. And yeah, it's like, you know, so Kelly Carlin, um, myself, Jonathan Winter's family was there and Ernie Kovacs. So it's kind of like this generation um, of kids who have lost their parents, but whose parents were all pioneers in, in yeah. this field. Um, and it's it's a great way to pay tribute to them. Am I am I mistaken? Is it, aren't they doing oral histories with people too? Aren't they filming interviews and collecting interviews with people uh, and creating an, an archive? Or did I misread somewhere? Yeah, they're, no, they're doing a lot. I mean, it's it's very interactive. The center as it is now. There's like a um, a hologram stand up comedy show. There's lots of games and things that you can sort of get involved in and take pictures of yourself and go through all these notes. And so it really is designed to continue to grow and expand um, as more people learn about it and want to be involved. And um, I, I just really think it's incredible. That's cool. I, I have to go visit. I've also, I want to visit the film school too, just to go pick up a, a hat or a t-shirt or something. <laughs> but, yeah. And they have the bus there from, from, from the, the new call movie? That you oh, I didn't know bus. that. 
Oh, yeah. how funny. Yeah. Uh, well, it's very fitting. Um, That's a good home for it then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, so, uh, I mean, uh, this is a Ghostbusters podcast. I'm sorry. We'll keep the Ghostbusters chat uh, to a minute. I mean, no, it's, it's funny. I, I actually really enjoyed kind of how unfazed you were by the whole Ghostbusters phenomenon because it made a whole <laughs> lot of sense. Like, dad's at work. All the kids at school are like, your dad's a Ghostbuster. And you're like, yeah, whatever. I just, that's my dad. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> But, um, so, I mean, it it seems like at that point in time, you know, 1984, uh, you know, you're, you're going to school and having to deal with this. You're seeing your dad's likeness being used for toys and lunchboxes and bedsheets and all sorts of stuff. Um, after writing the book, you've now kind of had to dive headfirst into, I see you uh, dealing with all of the franchises and all of the fans and, you're talking on uh, goofy Ghostbusters podcasts like ours. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, how have you found that experience in dealing with the fans? How do you think the younger you would have viewed this experience? Would she, <laughs> would young Violet be kind of weirded out by the whole thing? No, I was much more cynical at seven years old than I am today. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud to say. Um, yeah, I mean, I think when you're a kid, you know, whatever your parents are doing, it's it's kind of like, ugh, you know who cares about, you know, your day at, at the office. Um, you know, even though I loved going to the office with him because we got to travel all over and have all these, you know, sort of incredible adventures. But yeah, I mean, I was, I was over it. I didn't understand what the big deal was. Um, you know, I, I, I really sort of enjoyed the movie um, on its own for the first time, you know, when I was a teenager because I had a little distance from it. I got the jokes a little more. Um, and so it's been sort of an evolution, um, for me too, because, you know, even with the cartoon, I mean, I, I, I didn't, I never got into the real Ghostbusters. I didn't understand why Egon didn't look like my dad. And (laughs) I just thought, well, this is sort of its own thing, like, and that's fine, but I don't, it had nothing to do with me. Um, and then, you know, now it's like, I'm just blown away by the communities that have risen up um, around this film and, and not just the film, but also the Bale Ghostbusters also answer the call. Also these comics. Right. Um, I just feel like it's, you know, had this incredible impact on people and really brought them together and inspired them to sort of do good. Um, and I just think that that is so beautiful. And I, you know, that is one thing that, you know, I do feel sad about is I just wish he could have seen, um, you know, sort of the dedication and love that people have on a very deep level yeah. um, for, this, for this film and this idea. And I just, you know, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's good to hear, especially, you know, I, I can feel like if, if I was a kid, I'm trying to think if I put myself in the shoes of a kid whose father was a rock star, essentially. And, you know, dad's always around all of these bands and all of these famous people. And, but, you know, I, I want to go study science or ecology or something. And it just doesn't really phase me. Um, and, and I wonder, yeah, if it would kind of cause a resentment, uh, which it sounds like, it didn't really, but at the same time, I mean, I love your anecdote that you were more excited about meeting Bobby Brown than the fact that your dad was filming a <laughs> sequel to this movie. that was like a cultural phenomenon. Uh, yeah. So, um, well, so that's, you know, you got to rebel against something, right? So <laughs> I, I wasn't trying to go into the family business. I just, you know, wanted something a little more 
um, predictable and and stable. And I figured he had he had the the creative part covered. I mean, my mom obviously too. But um, yeah, it's like he he really loved what he did, and and that was sort of the thing that stood out to me most. Um, more than how other people felt about it, it was just that he got so much pleasure and satisfaction from from creating. Well, I would play devil's advocate with you and say that I think the genetics are still good there because your <laughs> writing of this book is fantastic. Your Ghostbusters daughter song was very creative. So I think <laughs> I think it's still in you. I think you got it. Well, I'm, I'm a late bloomer after all, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Um, well, I, I hope uh, maybe you'll indulge me. Um, this is a very self-serving question that I'm about to ask, but, um, I am about to raise a girl in 2018 Los Angeles living in the South Bay. Uh, what have I gotten myself into? What, what <laughs> words um. <laughs> of advice based upon your experiences would you, uh, instill upon me? Yeah, I don't even know what it's, you know, what it's going to be like for, for kids now. I mean, I have a 16 year old son and, um, he's much more innocent, um, than I was. And I don't think it's just because he's a boy. I think that, you know, the, the world has changed and, um, as much as, you know, the phones and technology, you know, people are worried about what it's doing. Um, I think it's also just keeping kids in their rooms a lot more. Oh yeah, um, that's true. So that's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> You can't get into you know, trouble. I mean, you can't relatively not, get into trouble if you're in your room. Yeah. I mean, there's it's different trouble, I guess. But you know, kids that I see at least are just not as out in the streets as much. Um, and you know, I mean, you'll be fine. You're already, <laughs> I can tell, like the sensitive, thoughtful dad. And um, you know, just uh, take a deep breath. <laughs> oh well, thank you. Yeah, Constantly that's for the uh, next twenty years. I have many passages of the book highlighted to be constant reminders of, you know, control is an illusion. Just let go. Don't worry about right. it. Um, well, uh, so so one more question that I had for you, and then, uh, Chris, I know you had a couple things uh, to, to add here to the end, but uh, something that came up in the book club, and I'm curious if it was intentional um, in terms of inviting Seth Rogen to do the um, the introduction to the book, uh, the 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 importance of the scene that your dad had with him in knocked up um, and, and how it echoed things that had happened in your life and how, Mm -hmm. um, and, and even verbatim words that were said, uh, you know, uh, no pills, no powders. If it grows out of the ground, it's probably okay. Um, and, and then kind of keeping in mind your dad's Buddhist sensibilities of, uh, you know, trying to achieve happiness, uh, looking at Groundhog Day as Phil Connors trying to achieve happiness in his life, having lived 3000 plus years. Uh, (laughs) do you think your dad viewed that particular scene as like a, a mulligan, a do over, uh, like, you know, here's something that happened between Violet and I, and I I get a chance thanks to the magic of cinema to say what I should have said way back when. Yeah, I mean, he he said as much to me when he when he decided to take the part. Like, you know, this might be a little close to home, but um, you know, I'm really glad that I get to sort of um do what I what I maybe wished that I had done or what I couldn't do right away. Um, but you know, he certainly um embraced my child and um, my family when I made that decision, and and I think that he was happy to sort of be able to do that on screen um i also think he really sort of thought of of judd and and seth as his sort of comedy offspring in a way Mm. um and 
I, I that just made me sort of relate to Seth as like a brother, even though truthfully I've never met him. I mean, oh, you're kidding! But I knew no. Um, I knew how much he loved working with my dad and had been a fan of his for so long and was inspired by him to even, you know, get into comedy. Um, and it just seemed like sort of the right, you know, the right generation, the right person. Um, and, you know, I also, I was a little nervous about, um, you know, Ghostbusters is in the title. So I thought, well, people are expecting a book about Ghostbusters. Um, which it is not. <laughs> um, and so to, you know, add another sort of layer of Ghostbusters into it, um, you know, just seemed maybe like not the right way to go, not sure. as true to the actual tone of the book. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I think people's reactions to the the title being Ghostbusters Daughter, but the book not really being about Ghostbusters, that's that's an allegory to your, your life, that your life was about your dad and not necessarily about Ghostbusters, even though here on this Ghostbusters podcast, it's all Ghostbusters all the it time. Is, right. <laughs> that's not how well, your life even was. even for him, like people think that he was Egon, you know, um, and they knew him only as that. And that's totally understandable. I mean, that's an iconic character um, and, a, and a great character. But, you know, it, and partly he was, but that was not all of who he was. Um, and so, you know, I think, again, that just sort of echoes um, what you said about, you know, my life and, and about the book. I mean, it's yeah. definitely a part of the story and an important part, but it's not everything. It's it's interesting to hear you talk about Judd and Seth being his sort of comedic offspring because that it, it adds a whole other layer to his email that he sends to Judd after year one mm-hmm. where he expresses how he he tried and it's so oh my goodness I can't believe mm-hmm. um, you know that he he took this risk and it was something that he felt deeply and passionately about and then he's apologizing to Judd. Um, I mean, now, now knowing that, that he looks as if he, or, or he wanted to apologize because he felt that he had failed the next generation mm-hmm. that he was, oh man, that's so heartbreaking. But, but again, yeah. just shows the yeah. type of person he was. He could have written it off and been cynical about it and you know, whatever. We got our paycheck, Judd, let's go. Uh, but he, um, he took it deeply. Yeah. And, and Judd, you know, to his credit, thinks of that as a really wonderful experience and loved working with my dad and could not have cared less, you know, um, how the movie did or not, although everybody wants it to do well. Um, but he just, you know, similar to my dad, just found the experience to really be the most important thing. And, and they were proud of what they did. Yeah. So. You don't, you don't set out to make a bad movie. Everybody forgets that, that it's like, no. it just something yeah. happens along the way. And actually, I love your one. I, I'm not calling your one a bad movie. <laughs> I'm just saying it's like that's yeah, not I the mean, intention of it. Yeah, there are great movies that just don't connect for whatever reason. And there are obviously crappy movies that get a lot of uh, attention and all our all our money. So Yeah, um, yeah. Um, well, uh, so one, one more quick thing for me, I'm sorry, Chris, and then I'll give you the four, but uh, I do want to also play devil's advocate with multiplicity. Cause I know that you are not, uh, you are not <laughs> impressed with multiplicity. Yes. There are some things that are like, oh, that did not age well, but I, I still, I love that movie. I go back to that movie all the time in terms of like, I, I wish I could clone myself and I know it's a terrible idea. Yeah. I know that it will yeah, go strange and, and sideways, but, <sighs> and Michael Keaton's just wonderful. So anyway, I had to, <laughs> I had to get yeah. that in. 
Well, listen, I, I think that there are a lot of great things in it, and I do also love the idea. I just think it could have been even more than it was yeah. and gone even deeper. Um, and, you know, I mean, who cares what I think? <laughs> you know, I'm not a movie critic, and um, I'm just a kid, really, in yeah. that situation. I mean... But um, yeah, I think it. I think it could have been even greater than it was. It could, yeah, it could have. Uh, I feel like that's a good segue, Chris. <laughs> did you want to ask about uh, k- kids and movies? Yeah, I was uh, thinking of my favorite parts of the the book was when you kept referencing that you and your dad kind of you, you kind of phrased it as a, an unconventional uh, uh, habit of watching movies. There didn't seem to be much of a yeah. uh, a, a ratings board. <laughs> going on and and then and then when you had your kids that kind of continued and you seemed uh you seemed generally kind of happy with that and that's something i spent a lot of time thinking about too like my wife you know sees me and my son watching stuff and she's kind of like should he be watching this and i was like i this is like the least of the things he could be watching right now (laughs) so i was kind of curious that other other than you know uh kids should never see bad lieutenant what 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 how you approach <laughs> movies and yeah, and, and, and bringing awkward. your kids into the world yeah <laughs> i bet <laughs> if, what your what your what your thoughts are on you know bringing bringing kids into the world of movies i i personally think about it a lot because the thing i find most disappointing is that generations have a tough time going back and watching and appreciating the mm. movies from previous decades and it's something that I really want yeah. to be able to and I sometimes think that maybe I'll cheat a bit and and let him watch stuff that you know if he if you know if the movie if he was back with me when the movie first came out maybe not but now that things have rolled along and kids are I don't, they're not advanced but of course they're absorbing a world that's much different than what we were absorbing when we were their age that maybe I can cheat a bit and let him come in you know if it's a PG-13 but I'm there you know it's kind of okay so I just kind of was curious what your thoughts were and as no, a no Fellini films but film noir is okay <laughs> or what <laughs> um, yeah I mean one thing I really appreciate about um, my dad and the way that he raised me um, and, and my mom too, is that they didn't censor the world for me. Um, they sort of let me see it. Um, and then, like you said, we talk about it, um, help you understand it. Um, and that's not a conversation that happened once. It's, you know, it's ongoing. Oh, well, what about that thing, you know, that you saw a couple of years ago? Like now, what do you think about that? Um, and I, you know, I mean, as a kid, obviously it's fun because you get to see stuff that no one else is, is seeing. <laughs> um, but I just think that it, it allows you to sort of form your own opinions about things and learn how to deal with stuff that you don't understand because so much of life is like that. Um, you're not prepared for what happens. You're shocked. You're embarrassed. Like, what is this thing that I'm feeling <laughs> as I watch this or as I live this? And, um, and how do I deal with it? And I think it helped give me the tools manage that so you know it's maybe like a bigger answer than you were looking for but um you know it's fun (laughs) i think it's a great answer so what you're saying is bad lieutenant is okay for children (laughs) well you know maybe like i'm I'm setting up the harvey keitel uh, retrospective now hooray (laughs) Uh, double feature with true romance. Here you go, Thomas. 
<laughs> Gotta learn the ropes, that's a good pal. One. Yeah, that's fine. Two romance is like you know, it's it's a rom com. <laughs> yeah, it totally. It's totally fine. Totally tame. Uh, I, I do find myself because I love watching, um, MGM has this, uh, channel called Comet that's got B movies, you know, sci-fi horror and, and stuff like that. And so I'll, I'll be watching it midnight or one o'clock in the morning and the baby is still awake and she's watching the screen and I'm watching, it's like, you know, pod people emerging from a cocoon. And I'm thinking, what am I doing to my poor daughter right now? What can an eight month old be thinking about? the visual that she is seeing at this moment. Maybe I should change it. Let's turn on Simpsons. Let's well, <laughs> it's funny. Like, I didn't even mention it in the book, but, you know, he did a voice in Heavy Metal, um, which I don't know. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, no. you know, it's a cartoon, but it's not for kids. No, um, no, no, no. And I would watch it. And, I, you know, I didn't, I had no idea what was happening. <laughs> it just seemed like the sort of um, psychedelic, you know, strange, bizarre world. And so, you know, I, I didn't, it wasn't until much later that I thought, oh, like, I've been watching this movie for a long time. Like, <laughs> how is that even possible or okay? But it was because your understanding and the conflict sort of grows as you get older. And, and by then, it's like nothing new. Yeah. And none of, none of your peers had been watching heavy metal probably at that point either. That like, oh, no. Hey, I got. I saw this cartoon. No, you guys haven't seen this. Yeah, um, I think it was like my eighth birthday. I made everyone watch The Exorcist. Um, <laughs> and every, and all fed my them friends pea soup. wanted to call their parents to go home. <laughs> oh boy! Well, yeah. a quick quick question is: oh, We've uh, this is. Troy put it is the Ghostbusters podcast where it's all things Ghostbuster. Uh, over the years, talking to other fans of other things, we it, it's a pattern has emerged that everybody kind of agrees upon that no matter what era you're in, there is a a period of time between kind of nine and twelve years old where kids are watching you know movies and they watch a movie and it and it just grabs them. And for you know, for obviously mm. for a lot of us here, it's Ghostbusters. I think Charlie leans a little more towards Back to the Future, but we don't talk about that much. Uh, and no. I was kind of curious then if, as Ghostbusters' daughter, you weren't into Ghostbusters. What was what was Violet's uh, the movie? Especially given that you watched so many movies, you know, with your dad and all that. So what was the movie that kind of, you know, got you the, the ten to twelve and went? 10 to 12. I mean, you know, I don't know. I was like of the dirty dancing generation. <laughs> so, um, you know, for me, that, that one was a big deal. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, like I said in the book, when I was much younger, I mean, Coal Miner's Daughter also is not a kid's movie, but that right. was my favorite movie, and I would just watch it over and over again. Um, so I think, you know, I was maybe drawn a little more to the I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say chick flicks, but to the more female-centered stories, you know, um, Greece and musicals and all that. So, Which makes um, your reaction but, so you much know, better when you re- uh, when you read Ghostbusters 2 and you're like, Dad, really? You want me to read this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like like boy stuff to me. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I get is uh, has sort of added to the whole controversy and ugliness around the the newer movie um but it it didn't seem sort of um as inclusive as it could have been and as as the new film was and 
Um, we don't have to get into that, or we can, but I, you know, it did feel very much like a guy thing. Yeah. And I think a lot of his earlier work was very much that. It was the boys' club. Yeah. I mean, going back and rewatching the movie, uh, Bill's character, not necessarily friendly to <laughs> modern audiences at this point. Mm, but problematic. Yeah, yeah, a little problematic. I mean, um, but yeah, no, we, we don't have to get into that. That's, uh, I mean, you, you, you wrote so eloquently that, um, that essay at the time that the movie came out. I feel like that's, mm. if, if anybody uh, has not read that, that's what they should go read because it was, it was perfect. Um, yeah. that, you, you said it so well. You don't have, to say, don't have to say it again for us. That's totally fine. Um, well, uh, I do want to wrap up so we can let you go, but um, I have two, two quick questions about the future for you. Uh, one, uh, to be or not to be, the wonderful uh, biographical yeah. script that uh, your dad wrote. Has anything happened with that, especially now that the book is out and people know that it exists? Um, it, not that I'm aware of. I mean, I think um, there has been some talk even among my family about possibly developing it, um, but I, I don't think that it's actively being um, you know, pursued at this moment. I hope that it is because I really love the whole script and you know it, it is very autobiographical for him and um you know surreal and funny and you know i just really think it's like a gem that i hope somebody will um choose to uncover yeah uh, d- count me in among those because i'd love to see that <laughs> at some point um, and then also what's, what's in the future for you? I mean, I know you, uh, the writing thing, uh, is, is relatively new. Have you started thinking about follow-ups? Are you, uh, working on something, uh, to come in the future? I'm not, I mean, I'm really just sort of focused on this right now. It was, you know, obviously, um, I think every writer, you know, sort of the book is giving birth and I don't think of it as giving birth, but, um, you know, it is just so intertwined with. Um, with my dad and with losing him, it's this very personal thing um, that's now out in the world. And so I just, um, I'm going to take as much time as I can to sort of um, just sit with that. <laughs> as yeah, as you should. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, we, we have ideas for follow-ups that we can tell you about offline okay. later. <laughs> Anytime, yeah. Things, things that we would love to hear you write about. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you clearly all have a lot of, of ideas and insight. I mean, I, I, I did listen to, to your book club and I was really amazed with how deep you went into things and how thoughtful you were and, and how compassionate really, like, um, you know, I can't separate it from myself, but, um, but you guys even brought up stuff that I had never thought about. So I just really appreciated that, that you, that you took the time and the energy to really invest in it and, and that's really special to me. Oh, well, no, thank you. I mean, I think it, it, it speaks of, of your book that uh, there are so many facets and layers to the book that there, it, we probably could have spoken for another two or four hours if I wasn't scared about keeping Ontario people awake <laughs> past 3 a.m. Uh, to do so. So, um, yeah, again, it's, it's, it speaks to the one, if you haven't, if you've listened to this interview and you are not convinced to read the book, if you have not read the book, if you've already read the book, go back and reread it because <laughs> I, I certainly will be. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've really written you've written a gem here and i think um you know not not just for ghostbusters fans but for fans of comedy and for parents and uh mm. there's just so much in there that can be gleaned from what you've written so uh so th- thank you that uh, the book club was the least that we could have done <laughs> for you no, no it, was, it was great 
Um, well, thank you so much again for giving us uh, so much time. Uh, again, thank you for for pouring heart and soul and and uh, and and really uh, letting your guard down for the book because there are so many things in there too that. Um, you, you were very brave in sharing as well that, you know, I, I just, I love the fact that we were able to just get a glimpse of this man that we all think we knew since our childhood. Uh, and you know, you, you, you often hear don't meet your heroes because they will often disappoint mm. you. But I feel like, especially with this book, you know, you, you hope that those people that you love and you adore are just as cool as they seem. And, and it seems like, yeah, your dad was just as cool as he seemed on screen. Uh, really well. Yeah. And Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks again, Violet. And uh, please, please keep in touch when you uh, when you do decide to write a, a, a follow up or if to be or not to be become something that the family is developing. We'd love to hear about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, call me back anytime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll take you up on that. Offer. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go, go, go stoppers. stoppers. I'm sorry. We'll do it again. We want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail on our calling line at 470-242-4742. That's 4702 GBHQIC. We also have a Facebook page. You do? And Twitter accounts. Friends is dead. No kidding. Just give me the address. Search Facebook for The Ghostbusters. Interdimensional crossroad. On Twitter, look for Troy at Ghostbusters HQ and Chris at Proton Charger. I just want to get back close again. What the hell are you doing? If you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. Be sure to recommend us to your friends. That makes good sense. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Once again, our call-in line is 4702-GBHQIC. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. So there it was, our interview with Violet Ramis Steele. Our thanks again uh, to Violet for joining us. Uh, and... Another person who was on the East Coast, so she was kind enough to join us later in the evening, uh, knowing that that's a difficult feat. We thank her for doing that again. But uh, next week on the show, uh, Chris will be back. Uh, This was a a, a weird outlier uh, where uh, he's not able to join us here at the end. I I probably could have not even told you, but it would have been weird if I didn't throw to him for final thoughts. And then, uh, Chris, uh, do you have any final thoughts for this episode? You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't work? But anyway, so uh, yeah, Chris, Chris will be back next week. Uh, he's on holiday. I'm on a book deadline, uh, so we weren't able to get together and and actually do a, a wrap for the show. But uh, I think it's great because we end up being able to just highlight uh, Violet's wonderful interview that she she granted us. So uh, if you do not already own Ghostbusters Daughter, please make sure that you go pick it up. Uh, the audiobook, I highly recommend it. I after talking to her, picked up the audiobook and have been listening to it on my way uh, to and from work and. Uh, it's just it's you get such a, a different context in hearing her read uh, the words from the page that uh, it's it's a lot of fun. So uh, pick that up, and uh, yeah, uh, we'll see you guys uh, next week. It'll be a, a fun news-packed episode. We have a lot of news that ended up happening uh, this past week, so we'll dive into that uh, when we come back here on the Crossroad. See you on the other side. Who you gonna call? We Thanks for joining the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad. Visit us at ProtonCharging.com, GhostbustersHQ.net, and StillPlayingWithToys.net. They used to be one of my two favorite shows. Let me guess. Ghosts are worshipped. Everything you're doing is bad. I just want to let you know that. No study. We'd like to get a sample of your brain tissue. Next week, though, Careless Pets. Weird.